Hello and welcome to the So What podcast, in which political economic analyst J.P. Lantman discusses the issues uppermost in the minds of South Africans. You can find a written version of this content on J.P.'s website, jplantman.co.za. I am Ruda Lantman and I am your host. These first few recordings were done at our dining room table, but we will soon be moving into a studio. Hello and welcome to another recording to go with JP's latest newsletter. This one is dated the 20th of October 2022, Corruption and Consequences. It is your annual corruption update, if I can put it that way. It's a bit later than usual. Why? Uh, Yes, normally I do it in August. You're quite right. Uh, This year I delayed it because in May the National Director of Public Prosecution, Shamina Bartoy, and the head of the Hawks committed in Parliament that they will bring nine high-profile arrests, nine high-profile cases, to the courts by the end of September. So I delayed this note to see what the status was at the end of September. Okay, and we start with the Gupta brothers. Absolutely. A month after Ms. Batoy made that commitment to Parliament, the two Gupta brothers were arrested in Dubai on a red notice from Interpol, of course initiated by South Africa. They are kept in jail. They've applied for bail a number of times, but uh, they didn't get it. Their extradition to South Africa is now dependent uh, on a court decision in that country in Dubai. Uh, the, the other case, the second case, the big one, is the Freda Dairy Project, also known as Estina. There are 17 accused, including a former cabinet minister, uh, Mr. Zwane, appeared as accused. They appeared next to two Gupta companies, as well as a host of other people. One of the nice, uh, juicy parts of this was that Iqbal Sharma, an associate of Mr. Gupta's, who had a very, very high, lavish lifestyle in Pretoria, had to spend a few nights in jail before he could get his bail. That must have been uncomfortable. So they're being prosecuted. Uh, Zwani stepped aside from his positions in the ANC, where he was a senior person. He was a member of the NEC being a former cabinet minister, and he's now out of the game, so to speak. Then the other big free state case is the asbestos case, which involves Ace Mahashule and 18 other accused. Uh, now, the ironical thing here is Mr. Mahashule and some of these accused wanted to uh, take the uh, prosecutor on appeal before the court started on certain technical points. They lost in the high court, and they're now appealing for those technical points to the appeal court in Bloemfontein. Uh, the, the ironical outcome of that is, as long as the court case is not settled, that takes Mr. Mahashule out of any ANC elections, which will happen in, in December. Then there are three other cases which are interesting because they, they go back a long time and they're relatively small in state capture terms. Money was still money is still at stake, but the, the amounts are, are fairly small. The one is the South African uh, Express case where people eight years ago in 2014 defrauded the Northwest government of 150-odd million rand. And the NPA has said they specifically take that, took that case or is bringing that case to court and arrested the people concerned because it has all the elements of a typical state capture case. Then another one, uh, case number five. Sorry, but how did SA Express get involved in Northwest? 
Well, it was about landing rights for SA Express from, I presume, Oatama Airport to the airport in northwestern, my, I presume, in my king. I don't know the details of the case. Then a case that goes back even further, 12 years to uh, 2010, is the case of the Wurima Dikizizela Mandela Museum, which was uh, built. And a number of people, including two firms of architects, have been arrested and are accused by the NPA of defrauding the state. The amount of money is not a lot, again, in the context of state capture, only 700000 But, you know, the symbolic value of the Winnie Mandela Museum speaks for itself. And then the last one, which is uh, case number eight, is quite interesting. It's a former commissioner of police and three former generals in the police force in crime intelligence who have been accused with a number of private sector business people for procurement fraud. The amounts were 33 and 54 million. Aside from the criminal prosecution, what is really interesting is that the SIU, the Special Investigating Unit, have uh, confiscated the assets of these police generals. And you will be interested to know that 19 immovable properties in Santon, Pretoria, Boxburg, Springs and Sasselberg were confiscated, as well as 115 vehicles. I can't imagine how one drives around in 115 vehicles. Clearly, the, the high life of the, of the previous police uh, commissioners, as well as those private business people, clearly their high life is now over. So that gives us uh, six court cases of the nine that the director promised. At Transnet, there were some fairly big developments. Uh, in total, 10 people that were previously headhunters, like Brian Mulefi, who is the, uh, the CEO, and like Anoy Singh, who is the chief financial officer, have been arrested, and the 10 of them are appearing in court on a number of corruption charges related to the purchase of locomotives from a Chinese company. We'll have to see how that case goes on the criminal side. On the civil side, we can take comfort from the fact that uh, Transnet and the SIU, again, were successful in having a contract of 54 billion rand for those 1,000 locomotives set aside. The four companies involved in the case, one was Canadian, one American, and two Chinese companies, refused to provide spare parts to the current Transnet locomotive fleet, as long as there was a dispute about the 54 billion rand. That dispute is now over because the contract was set aside, and according to news reports, Transnet is close to finalizing a deal with those four original equipment manufacturers to supply spare parts. And that the lack of spare parts is one of the reasons why Transnet, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why Transnet is performing so poorly. So hopefully that will help to improve their performance. Then I can just say for the sake of Transnet pensioners that the two Transnet pension funds the Transnet Pension Fund, as well as the second defined Transnet Pension Fund, defined benefit fund, have both reclaimed more than a billion rand that were paid to them from Regiment's Capital. And the Regiment's Capital, you will know, was a Gupta-associated uh, company that creamed a lot of the state capture, state capture funds. Well, it's actually not the only problem that is facing Regiment's Capital, not so? Uh, absolutely. Regiment's capital was put into liquidation. They're fighting to get it out. But as they were getting out of liquidation, SARS brought a 700 million rand claim against them, and they're not out of it yet. Now, what I find interesting about the SIU, Transnet on the one hand, and SARS on the other hand, their actions, is that it indicates a degree of coordination between different state agencies. And I suspect, but I don't know this, Ruda, that the fusion center which was created uh, 18 months, two years ago, 
is playing a very big role in in organizing this uh, coordination. That is exactly why it is called the Fusion Center. They bring together different law agencies, law enforcement agencies, uh, to pursue uh, corrupt people. And there's also been action against another company, Bain. Yeah, now Bain, uh, way back in 2018, repaid the 164 million rand in fees that they got from SARS for the rubbish advice that they gave there. So that is done and dusted. But what has happened this September is that Bain was banned by the National Treasury from uh, participating in any public sector contracts in South Africa for a decade. Now, private companies, of course, can still use Bain if they want to, but they're excluded from all public sector work, and that must be quite a blow. Then we turn to ESCOM, and here you say no recent high-profile arrests, but one arrest which did catch your eye. Absolutely. Two people that previously worked for the Swiss company ABB, Asia Baum Boveri, were arrested together with their wives. So it's four people, and they appeared in court. Apparently what happened is there was a contract between ABB and ESCOM for $25 million. And over time, that contact, that contract was increased from 25 million to 520 million through what is called variation orders. Now, variation order is a fairly standard thing, but the idea is that it must be justified. <laughs> uh, and this was clearly not the case. ABB is cooperating with the South African authorities, but they've already repaid 1.6 billion rand to ESCOM. Uh, and they've made provision in their latest set of accounts for another 6 billion rand as possible damages for for costs related to corruption at the Kusili power station. So we're talking really big money here. Now, ABB is a very big international company, been around for a long time, and even they were snared in this. Uh, and it's it's uh, it's very gratifying that they're working with the uh, South African government. But like Bain and like McKinsey and like other companies who had to repay money, uh, well, they also had to do that. Now, the interesting thing about this case is, although the two people that worked at ABB and their wives are not high-profile individuals, they are now in court, they have been charged, and the rumors have it, or reports have it rather, that this contract could be linked to other senior people that used to work at ESCOM. And you can think <laughs> of you know who the names are, and hopefully... Uh, we will see more arrests. So that was arrest number eight, not high profile, but certainly an arrest that was uh, that was being done. ESCOM is the is the big area of state capture. I mean, the, the Hawks and the SIU just this week uh, have uh, or gave an overview to Parliament of their work, the criminal work and the civil work on ESCOM corruption, and it's a it's a horrifying picture of of networks and and plain old fashioned stealing and looting bomb threats, threatening people, and so on. The Hawks uh, are working on something like 55 cases. They already have uh, some 18 cases in court. The SIU on the civil side succeeded in setting aside two contracts for coal supply to ESCOM worth 10.2 billion rand. These were long-term contracts, and they were found to be invalid and set aside. The SIU is also claiming 3.8 billion rand from former directors and managers that used to be with ESCOM, as well as a number of private companies. So there's a, there's a lot going on at ESCOM. No, no, it just sounds, it was corrupt at every level. It's not only the major big contracts. It's also at individual power stations. Oh, oh, oh no, absolutely, absolutely. And Tutuka Power Station, for example, is fingered very prominently, but it's not the only one. 
Yeah, as you say, big fish and small fish. There's one guy who was an ESCOM employee. He then resigned and became a supplier. And ESCOM uh, took action against him, fingered him. And within a couple of hours after he was fingered, he repaid ESCOM 1.2 million. Now, it's not big money. And if only all people were that cooperative, but it, it proves your point that some people were small fry. So there's big fry, there's small fry, and everybody is frying the consumer. <laughs> But there is one arrest that you say is puzzlingly going nowhere. Yeah, that is in in um, the first half of 2021, so it's about 15 months ago. Uh, four people were arrested for 1.2 billion rand alleged fraud at Kusili. It included Mike Lomas, who is a, was a prominent South African businessman. He was arrested in the UK, along with three people in South Africa. The four of them have been charged last year already. And this case is constantly being postponed. It's not, it's not progressing. Now, part of the postponement was because the, def- the defense lawyers, some of them are uh, pulling all kinds of tricks. Uh, but also because Lomas is still in the UK, he was released by a UK court on a £100,000 bail. It's quite a hefty bail. And he's now claiming that he's in ill health and he cannot be extradited to South Africa. So there's a court case about that as well. But the case has, again, been put on the roll for 3 November, uh, two weeks' time or so, and we will have to see whether it actually proceeds. But it's puzzling that an arrest that was made, as I've said, about a year and a half ago, 15 months ago, uh, that that case is not proceeding. And then apart from these high-profile cases, the NPA is uh, just generally getting on with the job, it sounds like. Well, absolutely. If you look at their annual report for the last year, which is the year to March 2022, they uh, and dealing specifically with corruption, they um, brought 388 cases to court and they won 344 convictions. That's uh, a 90% conviction rate, which is quite, which is quite good. Uh, interestingly enough, the number of government officials convicted of corruption increased from 86 to 119, 38% increase. But the conviction of people in the private sector for corruption increased by nearly 40% from 147 to more than 205. Freezing orders to the value of 5.5 billion rand were obtained by the NPA against many of these accused. Uh, you know, criminal conviction is one thing. Getting the money back is, is a second objective. And it's also, I mean, I think they're doing quite well. And it's interesting to note that in June last year, um, just after the start of the financial year, more more than 800 posts at the, at the NPA were filled. Now, that's a lot of people to a point in one go. And clearly, the capacity will grow and the ability to prosecute cases will grow. So I think with these arrests that the director promised, and of which we have now seen eight of nine, well, I think things are moving also on the criminal case side in, in, in the right direction. And the uh, Special Investigating Unit, how's it going there? Very good. I mean, they, they've been on a roll now for about two years. Most of the action against corruption uh, came from them. Uh, I've written about this before and I've set out their role and their position. In essence, the SIU can only reclaim money via civil action. They cannot prosecute people. They must bring a civil claim and in that way recover money. And uh, their work has been sped up quite a lot by a special tribunal which was created by President Ramaphosa in 2019. Now, the special tribunal are simply eight judges of the High Court of the South African High Court in the various provinces. 
And they, uh, when the SIU wants to bring a case before them, they act as the, as the special tribunal presiding officer. So uh, the big benefit of the special tribunal is you don't have to go the laborious route of going through the courts. As, as you know, our court system is, is very clogged and, you know, courts are just bureaucratic, slow and time consuming. This special investigating unit with its special tribunal is capable of hitting much quicker and much faster. Just to bring things together, uh, Zveni Makizi, the previous Minister of Health, was fingered in a SIU investigation in, in the digital life scandal, 159 million. There was no criminal charges there. It was a civil claim. Now, Mr. Mckeezy wants to object to that uh, to that finding, and he has brought the case to the High Court, but there's been there's been no finding in the High Court yet. But that's a that, that's a side issue. The fact remains, the SIU is very active. They're very successful in reclaiming money, and although they can't put people in in orange overalls, they are reclaiming money, public money for for the state. And then. Um Leaving the state and uh, state employees aside for a moment, Steinoff, the big news. Yes, I, I started writing about Steinoff simply because I think it, it is such a big story and what's going on there. And just as I finished it and as I sent this note off, <laughs> the news broke that the Reserve Bank got an order to attach 1.4 billion rand in assets. That's apparently all the assets the, the Joster family has for claims of more than 4 billion. So the Reserve Bank is claiming much more than, than what is available, but it's you know it's quite a substantial amount. And this was granted by the High Court in the Cape in September. But that's on the civil side. On the, on the It's quite interesting to look at what's happening on the criminal side. In June 2020, so about two and a bit years ago, the Hawks asked uh, the auditing firm PwC to do a forensic report on the Steinoff case. Apparently, the report, uh, according to the head of the Hawks, uh, comprised 31 lever arts files. Now, the poor prosecutor that must work through that. Uh, about a year later, in July 2021, the, uh, the Hawks reported to Parliament uh, that they were in the process of getting, collecting 14 witness, witness statements from, uh, from people in foreign countries, individuals living in Germany, France, Australia, and the UK. And uh, the Hawks uh, started what is called mutual legal assistance processes to source 30 foreign bank accounts in foreign countries. And this evidence from the witnesses and the bank accounts and so on will be used to do a final forensic report. The PwC one was a preliminary report. In this July, uh, three months ago, uh, two, three months ago, the Minister of Justice reported in Parliament that the first leg of the Steinhoff matter has been finalised. Now, precisely what that means, I don't know. Presumably, it means that the forensic report is completed and that they can now proceed to build a case on the basis of that. He also said that the South Africa is seeking mutual legal assistance. He didn't say with whom, but I presume it's with the Germans, because that's where Steinhoff was uh, incorporated. Now, it's worth remembering, Ruda, that the Steinhoff officers in Germany were raided by the German authorities in December 2015, not the dates. Two years later, December 2017, the Steinhoff bomb exploded. It took three and a half years from December 2017, when the bomb exploded, for charges of balance sheet fraud to be brought against uh, four people involved with, with Steinhoff. 
Now the Germans in Germany. In Germany, yes. The German authorities brought the charges in Germany. Now the Germans have a system in <clears throat> where uh, a court conducts a pre-trial hearing to give an independent opinion on whether there's a good chance of getting a conviction or not. Normally, in Germany too, that decision is taken by the prosecutor. But the Germans have got this extra layer of uh, decision-making, if you want, where the independent court must also give an opinion on that. And the court ruled um, last year, now exactly a year ago, in October 2021, that uh, the case must proceed against two of the four individuals, and those are two individuals living in Germany. Uh, the other two individuals are not identified. Presumably, Marcus Joost is, is one, but that's just uh, speculation. And they will appear in court later. Now, uh, at the time of writing this note, which is October 2022, uh, note no further developments have taken place in Germany. So if you think about it, a raid in December 2015, the bomb explodes in 2017, charges brought in 2021, 2022, confirmation that four people must be charged, and then a year later, October 2022, and nothing has yet happened in Germany. And I think that speaks to uh, to the fact that these cases are complicated, that legal processes take time, and uh, you must either conclude that Marcus Joester is not guilty, or you must conclude that the Germans are inefficient. And I think those two propositions are both a bit suspect. So, so legal processes take time, however impatient we, we may be for retribution. So with all of that said, so what? I think the big so what is it's clear from the amount of detail that's in the note that we've seen a step change in South Africa in both criminal and civil prosecution of state, keeper, state capture miscreants. Uh, the public, the director of public prosecution promised nine cases. We got eight, and clearly a lot more is brewing and bubbling under the surface. Secondly, I think it's important to point out that people that were formerly untouchable, a cabinet minister, secretary general of the, running, of the ruling party, a commissioner of police, senior generals in, in uh, crime intelligence, high-flying CEOs like Brian Mulefe, these previously untouchable people are now in court as common accused. Uh, and it's not something that I think one should just uh, tread lightly over. Uh, it is a very good thing that companies are being prosecuted as well and that companies are also paying the price some by being charged, others by having to repay money, some by being banned from public contracts. It's a, it's a refreshing development because corruption always involves two parties, not just one party. Of course, this does not mean that all the cases will be settled uh, satisfactorily, that people will be found guilty. But if you can have a 70-80% conviction rate, I think that would be very gratifying for the South African uh, public. Uh, and then lastly, we mustn't forget, and Mr. Zuma is a prime example of that, that when you start in defending yourself in legal cases, it drains you. It takes money, it takes energy, it takes focus away. And, and the more you appear in court and have to go there and so on, the more your status diminishes. And as I've said, I think Mr. Zuma is a prime example. So the fact that people, that action is being taken against people mean that they are beginning to pay a price for what they did. Isn't there also a kind of sea change in the way corruption is viewed? 
that previously people may have thought, well, you just have to get a contract on the side and uh, nothing will happen. You can just do it. Mm. But all of this now means that's not the way South Africa is going to work. I think that's a fair comment. Our, uh, South Africa will still work like that for a, for a long time to come. It's a different value system that must take hold. But the fact is these prosecutions help to, to conceive and give birth and grow that alternative value system. Yes, I think that's a, that's, that's a fair comment. Yeah, how do you fight corruption? Well, by fighting it. There's no other way. Thank you for listening to the So What podcast. If you enjoy this content, please don't forget to leave a review and a rating, and please consider subscribing so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, tell your friends. Remember, you can find a written version of all JP's content at jplandman.co.za.